I want to read out of the book of Ephesians. Uh, we're going to, um, that's a surprise to everybody, but um, we'll be taking communion here in a moment, and, um, and then we're going to have a short time of worship afterwards and pray for any who are sick uh, or who uh, have emotional wounds or whatever, any need that you have we want to pray for. Uh, but first I want to kind of give a, a, a brief word here. Um, Coming out of Ephesians 5 to kind of set up what, what communion will be all about. Once every uh, two months or so we, we do this. I want to read from Ephesians chapter 5 and it's in your bulletin. I'll start with verse 6 where Paul says this. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Such things being the things we talked on last week the works of darkness. And therefore, Paul says in verse 7, don't be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. You were once darkness, but you're not that any longer. Now you're light. So live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what is pleasing the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. And this is why the Old Testament says, Wake up, O sleeper, you who are living in the darkness. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let's pray. Lord, I, I, I have... Uh, kind of a heaviness in my heart about the content of what I want to say, Lord, because uh, I just, I'm so aware right now that I can't even begin to say it as good as these kids said it, um, and that words in general just don't do this. So, Father, I pray that you would make up the, the difference, Lord, and that I could trust you to do that, and that I wouldn't be trying with my words to do that, because that'd be very frustrating. So I release it to you, Lord God. Give us an experience of the reality of, of you as light in our life. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. As I said, I'm uh, really acutely aware this morning of, of, uh, of, of, how, of, of how inadequate anything I'm going to say is going to be about what I want to say. But maybe I can get at it, start, start to get at it in this way. It's the case in my life and probably the case in your life if you're a believer that Jesus is a friend. And you know Jesus as a friend, and I know Jesus as a friend. He's, he's my best friend. I feel like that. I feel like I can tell him anything and he's not going to push me away. I feel like he knows me better than anyone knows me, and he knows me even better than I know myself. Sometimes I feel as though I am in a love relationship with God on the flavor of the Song of Solomon. And he's my lover. And there's an intimacy there and a familiarity there that uh, I don't know if it can be perfectly replicated in human relationships. And I never feel like I need to use strange and foreign words about God because I don't talk that way with my friends. I don't feel the need, and I worry about people who do feel the need to refer to God as thou and, and thither, whither, thou highest, thou, you know, and all that kind of King James-ish stuff. Because I don't talk to people that I'm really close to that way. People that you're, you trust, that you love, you, you talk normal. And you are normal, and you just, 
You are the way you are, and you don't need to be anything different. And I feel that with regard to Jesus. And my, my prayer is that I can maybe catch up to some of you in terms of your relationship with Jesus as a friend. And others, for all of us, my prayer would be that we could all relate to Jesus as a friend. He's, in one sense, a best bud. He's a brother. The Bible calls him that. At the same time, I'm very aware that there's a dimension to God that is not like that. I don't know how to describe this, but most of you are going to know what I'm talking about anyways. I had an experience several months ago when I, at Luce, when I was speaking at Luce, just before I got up to speak. I was sicker than a dog and feeling really like I didn't want to be there. And then on the last line of the last course that we were singing before I got up to preach, I had a picture of the Lord um, where I saw the Lord high and lifted up, as you will. And there was a brightness which was the brightness of like 10,000 suns. I can't describe it. And it was just a flicker of this radiating lightness. And it pierced me. And it was as though at that moment it dried up all the nasal congestion that I had. It just evaporated it. But it also evaporated any sense of pride that I had at that moment. It evaporated any sense of self-sufficiency that I had at that moment. And it certainly evaporated any sense of self-righteousness that I had at that moment. There's a dimension to God that can only be described as His awesomeness. His transcendence. As close as God is as friend, so also He is above us as God. It's even hard to put those two aspects of God together. How we're... It's almost as though we're talking about two different beings, but I know that that is not the case. The one God, the same God who is so close to us, He is our bud, our friend. He is also God. And He's God with a capital G. And His glory, or His, his light, His being as light, the radiance of 10,000 suns, can't begin to be expressed with words. It can't, can't begin to be thought in any kind of human framework, any human conceptualization. There's no way to capture it in a theology. There's no adequate way to express it. It's His glory, it's His light, it's His brilliance, it's His power, it's His splendor, it's His holiness. And as close as God is, as friend, He is different than us when it comes to this. It's, it's almost the strangeness of God. Some people, when we look at the universe, we, we, you can look at the stars and you see, and you just begin to think of the incredible, mind-boggling magnitude of the cosmos. And you begin to think about the nature of time. And what it would be like for something to have always been. Think about that for two seconds and smoke starts coming out of your ears. And, and, and what a being like that is like. And a being who has no, no limitations whatsoever. Try to think about that. We can't even begin to fathom what that would be like. But all of time and all of space is but a little freckle in the palm of God's hands. So great is His power, so great is His might, so magnificent and awesome is His being. Words can't begin to comprehend it. The most you can do is try to set up things so that people begin to experience it. Isaiah had this experience in the book of Isaiah chapter 6. The awesomeness of God. The holiness of God. I don't know if you sense His presence here this morning, but it's here. And it's awesome. Isaiah saw it. And he describes it like this, knowing that words can't describe it. But he said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And his train filled the temple, referring to his, 
his majestic robe. It was the case in most of the monarchical governments in those days that the higher authority a person had, the longer their, their royal robe was, their train, they called it. And the Lord was so high and lifted up. This is the only thing Isaiah was stammering lips can even begin to say is, his train, how big was it? Well, it filled the whole temple. I mean, the temple was stuffed with, with his royal robe. In other words, you cannot get more majestic than this. Whatever train you think about, whatever royal robe you think about, his outdid it. It filled the entire palace. And then he says, all the cherubim and seraphim, which if you read the text, are these sort of freakish, strange-looking creatures with six arms flying around. They were swarming around the, 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 uh, the, the throne of heaven. And, and they were covering their eyes because they couldn't look on His glory. And for some reason, they were grabbing their feet. And the other two arms were flying around, but they were screaming out, the Bible says. They were proclaiming as they were swarming around the heavenly throne, a bizarre picture showing, I think, the strangeness of God's holiness to the normal carnal thinking. But they were proclaiming, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who always was, who always is, and always shall be. The whole earth is filled with His glory. Holy, holy, holy. Now, the root meaning of that word holiness means to be separate from, to be different from. God is unusual. He's not like anything that is created. And everything that is created can't begin to compare with the glory of God, the holiness of God, the pure, undiluted radiance, glory of God, the pure, undiluted power of God, the pure, undiluted greatness of God, the pure, undiluted brightness of God. The pure, undiluted righteousness of God, words can't begin to express it, but you can begin to experience it. And every person who has ever confessed, ever come to the awareness that they are sinners in need of grace, did so because at some level at least, they saw the glory of the Lord. Because it's only in the light of God's light, His brightness, that we begin to perceive and get any inclination of our own darkness. Aside from that revelation, we think we are pretty good Joes. We think we measure up pretty well. But when you come in the vicinity of the power and the glory of the Most High, it evaporates. It evaporates all semblance of self-righteousness and pride. And so Isaiah says the minute, the minute he sees the glory of the Lord, he says this. He says, I am a man who is becoming undone. I am falling apart at the seams. Because I, he says, am a man of unclean lips. Now you read, you read the prophecies of Isaiah in the book of Isaiah, and we, on a human level, would be inclined to say, never has a man spoken such beautiful words. He is a man of anointed lips, pure lips, godly lips. But in, 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 in the light of God's radiance and glory, he says, I'm coming undone, I'm falling apart. My lips are unclean. Because compared to this glory and compared to this righteousness, I have no glory and I have no righteousness. And there is no way that a person on a natural level can even know what this is about, what it's talking about. They don't have a clue unless at some level God has revealed it to them. If you're here this morning and you're not a believer and you just think in terms of the natural carnal mind, you don't know what I'm talking about. You're probably wondering, why do these people lower themselves and bow, bow down before the Most High? Why would they degrade themselves in that fashion? But if you just saw for one second, just one moment, just one millisecond, the glory of the Lord, you'd understand. 
You'd understand that he's worthy and deserving of all glory and praise. And that we next to that glory are people that are becoming undone. That we cannot stand on our own righteousness before that throne. We cannot stand on our own terms before that throne. We can only confess the fact that we fall short of the glory of God and need the mercy of God when faced before that throne. The glory of God. God's revelation has to make that clear to us. There's no way that words can do that. When you see the glory of God, you begin to understand what this verse is talking about. In, in, in Ephesians chapter 5. Because when you understand that, when you, when you begin to see something at some level, at some level, an intuition of the incredible nature of God, radically unlike anything that we can know about in this, in this world, when you, when you begin to sense that, then you understand what the Bible means by darkness. And you do not understand darkness unless you know something about the light. The Bible says that the world is dark. The world dwells in darkness. To be in darkness is to be the opposite of light. You don't see what's going on around you. I used to play hide-and-go-seek with my kids in the garage, and we'd try to play tag and, and it, with all the lights off. Uh, we turned off all the lights. It was pitch, pitch black, and we try to play tag, which is really dumb because invariably we'd always get hurt because you run into stuff. You know, it's bam, you skin your knee, and, and you run into the door, and you fall over, and you bump into one another, you bump heads because you don't see where you're going, and that's what darkness is like, total darkness. You can't see where you're going. In fact, you try to remember where was the door, and you lose all sense of direction. You, you, you completely become disorientated, and you begin to see things. You ever do that? Shut off the lights in a garage uh, for a long time or anywhere, and you begin to see things? You know, colors, angels, whatever. Uh, hallucinate trails. and uh, You begin to, like, you think you see a door or something, and you begin to hallucinate. Your mind begins to fill in what, what's not there. And that is exactly the position of people who are not regenerate in the world. They're in a state of darkness. There is a state of darkness. Darkness is so dark, and they've been in it so long, and it's self-imposed, and it's so deceptive, that they don't even know it's darkness anymore. They don't even realize it's darkness. In fact, what is dark they call light. What is dark they call light. They do not understand that Jesus Christ is God and man. They live in darkness. They don't understand the need for a Savior. They live in darkness. They conjure up their own philosophies and conjure up their own moralities and really can sincerely believe that all ways are equal, all theologies are equal, all doctrines are equal, all religions are equal. And they really believe that they are pretty good people, basically, and certainly, if there was a God, deserve the very best that he would have because they don't go around beating people like other people do. And they measure themselves against one another and against one another. If you're using a very small ruler, you look tall. And so they feel that they're light. They feel that they're okay. And they're in a state of darkness. They're in an utter state of darkness. They guess at what is real. They don't know what is real and can't know what is real. Because the light isn't turned on. They're groping in darkness. And so they guess at it. And the Bible says, the Bible says that there's coming a time, and I say this only because it is true. I don't say it for any sort of manipulative purposes. But this is the truth. There's coming a time when God's going to turn on the light. All of the light and darkness is going to have to flee. And so the Bible says there's coming a time, as to put it in, in Paul's terms, when these works shall be judged, all darkness shall be annihilated, and everything that flows out of darkness, and everything that sets itself up against God, and everything that opposes God, is going to be utterly destroyed in the presence of God. The Bible says that he'll melt with his righteousness, all works of unrighteousness. And here's the thing, all people in this room, every one of us, have either been in or now are in that darkness. The Bible says in, in, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, 
that the Lord, he says, of all believers, the Lord has taken us and delivered us out of the dominion of darkness and brought us into the, 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 the kingdom of his dear son. He's brought us into his glorious light. When you believe in the Lord, and this is simply the message of salvation, and I don't know who I'm talking to here, and one way I'm talking to all of us, but when the moment you believe, the moment you let a little light, as Paul says here, you let the light of Christ shine on you, the minute you crack the door so that you're no longer shutting yourself out from the light of God, and you're letting a little light in to shed light on the subject, the Bible says that he takes you, and he, he takes you out of the dominion of darkness, and puts you into the kingdom of his dear son, hides you in Jesus Christ, robes you in his righteousness. The word to take out of that's used in Colossians 1.13 is the word to transplant something. The Romans would sometimes take a people uh, and they would just uproot them and put them in another location. And, and they'd be transported to that new location. And that's what the Bible says that God did to all who believe. We very literally were un the, under the dominion of darkness. We were in bondage to the principality and power of darkness. We could not think our own thoughts, though we thought we were thinking our own thoughts. We could not choose our own way, though we thought we were choosing our own way. We were in darkness. The Bible says that he took us up out of that place and he brought us over here and he placed us inside of Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ there is only one thing and that is light. That is light. And so Paul says, we who were once blind now see. We who once were so confused now see. We don't understand everything but we see enough to know where we're going. We who did not know what life was all about now know the basic meaning of life. We who groped in our unfulfillment now find something satisfying and fulfilling. We who did not see the glory of God shining in the face of Jesus Christ now see the glory of God shining in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, because God, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4 through 6, God said, let there be light in our soul, and there was light. Just like when, when, when God on the, day, uh, on the first day of creation said, let there be light, and there was light, so also he looked at Greg Boyd, he saw a lot of darkness, but he said, let there be light. Let there be light, and he turned the light on. He turned the light on. Made me a new creature in Christ Jesus, and all who believe are made new creatures in Christ Jesus. We very literally are, as Paul says here, children of the light. We've been saved, we've been redeemed, and now here's the, here, here's the glory, here's the glory of the whole thing. That is, as far away as God in His holiness is from us in our fallenness, the infinite gulf between us and God has been crossed in the person of Jesus Christ. And though God is in and of himself holy beyond words and righteous beyond words, severe, if you will, beyond words, we who believe have been made perfectly compatible with him. For the Bible says he has given us his righteousness. He's given us his holiness. He has, Paul says, given us, in terms of our nature, his light. And so now we can rightly be called children of the light. We're filled with his righteousness and filled with his holiness. Not because of anything, not one thing that we have done, but simply because of what he has done in the person of Jesus Christ. God in his transcendence, in his unthinkable holiness, has become one of us and took upon us his sin. And so now we are made, all who believe are made perfectly compatible Perfect, think about it, perfectly compatible with God in His holy radiance. And so then Paul says, we're children of the light. We have light by nature. It implies two things, and I close with this. Number one, it means that we have the power, and in our heart of hearts, the hunger to live 
to imitate God. And this is what this whole passage is about, starting with verse 1. We've talked about that the last three weeks. Be imitators of God. You know what? God is light, and so he creates light children, light-bearing children, children who, in their heart of hearts, don't want to do works of darkness. They don't want to be partners with it. We hunger and thirst after a righteousness that is not our own. We are, in fact, Paul says, we are children of light. Therefore, we do not want to live as children of darkness. He doesn't say walk as children of light in order so you're no longer children of darkness. Rather, he says, because you are already children of light, therefore put off the deeds of darkness and manifest the light that you are. It's in our heart to live with the light of God. And that, if we do that, if we do that, if we do that, our lives will be so radically different from what this dark world is about. It'll be so radically different. We move in a different direction than what the people who are groping in this world move in. And that gives them hope, and that gives them a testimony to the truth of the light. The second thing it does to live in the light is this. Paul says when you live in the light, you turn on the light in the room, and you you see what's there. That's one of the things that light does. It chases out darkness. And when darkness is gone, you can see what's real. And so also Paul says, because this is basically what he's saying when he says, expose the deeds of darkness. Don't don't be partners with them, but expose them. He's not saying, like, we should go around exposing each other's sins. For example, if I were to tell you what Dave did last night, you know, uh, that'd be exposing him. Uh, You know, the shame, the terror, the... Whatever. We're not called to do that. Though it would be kind of fun now that I think about it. But rather what Paul is saying is simply this. Turn the light on in your life before God and before, before those that you are in fellowship with in the body of Christ who you trust. We can live real. We can live real. When we have secrets, we are living in darkness. We pull the wool over people's eyes and we bring darkness in our life and that festers and it decays and it destroys and it does not lead to health and it does not lead to godliness. And sometimes the most strict forms of religiousness are about darkness, hiding what is true to to project a false facade of what you're not. But Paul is saying to do just the opposite of this, to walk, to move towards, to develop the character of light We need to be real with all the areas of our life that are not light. And so Paul says, and the New Testament general says, live in the truth, aletheia, which means openness. Confess your sins to one another. Here's the bottom line. Precisely because the transcendent God who is holy beyond measure has become one of us and took upon himself all the sin of the world, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, 2 Corinthians 5.21. Because of that, we know. And because we understand who God is in all of his glory, we know that we can never and need never stand before him on our own merits, stand before him with our own works. We can't cross the gulf on our own. And because of that, precisely because we know that we're saved by grace, we understand that there's no points given for pretending, no points given for hiding, no need to conceal here. All that we are and ever shall be, we are by God's grace. And that means I can be real with you, and you can be real with me, and we can all be real with God. So Paul says, turn the light on. Turn the light on. You got an issue, you got a family problem, you got an emotional problem, turn the light on. Why keep pretending? There's nothing, nothing to be gained and everything to be lost by your religious pretense trying to convey to people that you got your act together when you do not. You'll never cross the gulf pretending. Get real with the light. Precisely, this is the irony. The fact, the, the glory of God, which would most want to make us hide when we see it in the face of Jesus Christ, 
most brings us out of the closet. And the very God who would intimidate the daylights out of us if we had to stand on our own two feet, our own righteousness, when we realize who we are in Jesus Christ, His transcendence, His glory is what leads to His closeness and His intimacy. We're going to take communion this morning, and I want us to think about this. First of all, be praying, I'm going to be praying that the Lord will give us a sense of His majesty, His somber, sobering holiness, that we would know and see that we cannot stand before God on our own two feet, on our own righteousness, and nothing we've ever done does anything on its own to chip away the gulf between us and God. Be aware of God's holiness, because unless you see God's holiness, you'll never appreciate the second thing, and that is God's closeness, God's salvation.